Hello there, listener. Just a quick reminder that Jonathan's Kickstarter for Cut to the Chase, the two-player short-form role-playing game of exciting chases, has only three days left. It's already funded, and is now going towards stretch goals. So if you want to support one of us, and get a great role-playing game, check the link in the show notes, or find Cut to the Chase on Kickstarter. Now back to your regularly scheduled nerd discussion. Nerd. Another episode of Flail Forward, the podcast about game design and amateurism. Uh, this week, I am Fred, your host, and I have with me Mr. Karas Naur. Hello. Uh, Miss Catrice. Hello. Mr. Jonathan. Hello. Uh, Cavoir. Hello. And Mark. Hello. And finally, last but not least, Rob. Hi. All right. Be honest, he's probably least. Yeah, <laughs> if we're being honest. I, mean, I wasn't going to say anything. Like, you know, I, th- I thought I'd let him have his day. Thank you. Are we going by, like, dry weight or volume or what? <laughs> um. Yeah. We'll say, we'll say volume. Volume. All right. That might be true. <laughs> I don't know. Six feet tall, 155, 160, somewhere in there. Yep. Volume it is. All right. All right. Fred, do you want to save us? <laughs> this is a weird... Uh, we're going to talk about... I, this week, we're going to talk about playtesting methods and feedback and how we do it, what we do it. What What is playtesting? Anyone? What is playtesting? Oh, there's a question. I do. <laughs> you don't yes. have the inflection for it. It's basically just, you know... Oh, okay. I'll do, I'll do a Valley Girl. Hang on. Um, what is playtesting? I refuse to answer now. <laughs> what is play My testing? God. I know what playtesting is, but like, do you know like what it what it is? Craig, oh, uh, Rob, what have we <laughs> that was great. I'm sorry. Welcome to the dumpster fire. Yeah, <sighs> it, it's a burning a bit hotter than normal tonight. But yes, but yeah. So playtesting is basically just you know you've got a game you need to actually see if it works properly and all the theory crafting that you may make like oh this is a great idea it'll work perfectly in this particular way as soon as you give it to the players everything breaks horribly because that's what players do so you kind of have to run things by actual players to see if things work the way you think think they will because a lot of the time they won't a lot of the times they'll ask for information that is like oh yeah that's really important i probably should put information in there like you know how to actually calculate your hit points that would be handy wouldn't it (laughs) so okay so that's what it is and why we need it so what what are some ways we go about getting it like how 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 do how does one put together a playtest session, and uh, uh, what are some ways that uh, we can find playtesters, and uh, what are some good things to ask them? 
So they can feed your regular gaming group to test your game. <laughs> yep. That's mm-hmm. the most common attempt. It does yeah. have some flaws, though. Namely, think... they know how you think, so they don't, and they'll have a lot of the same mental shortcuts you do. It's true. And there's sort of an echo chamber effect, too, that if you play test your game with the same people that like the same stuff, then you're not really diversifying your audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of issues with basically what was mentioned, but also just things like trying to get them to come up with uh, problems as well. Like, keep in mind that the point of playtesting is to see where things break. And if you have people that know you, they might actually be trying to be, you know, friendly to you. They don't want to make you feel bad. Like, mm-hmm. they they won't be as likely to speak their mind in some cases. It can actually be difficult to get them to give you actually useful information. in Because useful information is usually information that says, this is terrible, get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So, so what are some ways we can look for that even though you know people might be hesitant to give us that feedback well if In you're playing situation. with your friends mm-hmm. make, make it clear to them that you don't want them to hold back like the whole point of playtesting is to test the thing not just play the thing and in addition to that make sure you actually um do what you say like don't be like i want you to not hold back but the first hint of criticism you get you break into tears that kind of makes them not want to do that anymore or uh something that i'm somewhat actually somewhat guilty of uh as soon as they like say a flaw you explain you try to you immediately try to explain it away and (laughs) and like you have perfect like in your mind you have perfectly valid logic for it but Maybe don't inst- maybe don't instantly do that in- directly after they said it. Uh, you yeah. should generally there might be some explanation that's needed depending on what it is, but generally the best thing to say is okay, I get it, and then move on. Yeah, so or yeah, ask maybe like follow up questions. Yeah. Yep. I I want to take this this moment right here to invoke um, Neil Gaiman's fifth rule of writing that uh, I think is very relevant. Um, it, it's relevant, I think, to both writers and and for players, uh, uh, people writing RPGs as well, is that if somebody thinks something is wrong with your writing, they're probably right. If they tell you specifically how to fix it, they're probably wrong. Mm-hmm. And not always is not always tricky part. Probably. yeah probably. D- distinguishing it, the difference between those two is actually really hard mm-hmm. yeah i don't yeah, yeah. i don't it, think but, so but, but, i actually don't well i i think no i think he's i think he said the probably is 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 the case is the important part there but no i i agree with jonathan i think you can you, if people are are feeling friction at some point they generally can know where that is they know where the friction is they and but they will they will often tell you to do things that you know can't work but you should pay attention to where they're saying they're feeling friction yes that law is really a narrow application of some general business wisdom that states 
customers are great at finding problems, but they're generally terrible at solving them. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. Customer is not um, always right. Yeah, and so we kind of started on like playtesting, uh, finding playtesters, and and how you start playtesting, and we kind of jumped ahead a bit. And I think there's, I'm not going to give them specific names, but just more of how I experienced getting playtesters. Mm-hmm. But the first level of playtesting is your own playtesting. Um, which for games is often a lot of mechanical stuff, way less uh, role-playing stuff, because it's stuff that you can work out on your own without needing um, playtesters to tell you that the math is wrong. Uh, You can do that yourself most of the time. And then you have this playtesting with your own playgroup. And then beyond that, you have this like playtesting where you put it out to maybe a controlled group like you're not playing with them but you know them mm-hmm. and then you have this play testing where you just throw it out into the wild and ask for feedback usually based on some filling out some form of some sort i would and, also put in an additional one in professional play testing because you can hire people to do it as well a lot of us don't have the money to do that but if you do have some funding to work with it's not necessarily a bad idea yeah absolutely you can have so you can pay people to do the work yeah so a question then um because i i know that that exists for like video games and i'm sure there's resources for that but i've never seen a place to go to hire people for playtesting role-playing games um, for the benefit of our listeners and myself, is there a place to go to look for that? I mean, do I just post in an ad on theory, Craigslist or? In theory, because there are there are places where you can hire game masters, and play testers is kind of an order of magnitude more obscure. I'd also oh, say that one other way of looking at it is in going to conventions, because I think if you're willing to throw money at attending a con. And running a game for that con, there are people that are willing to sign up for your game. So a lot of con structures um, involve the playtesters paying an entrance fee and it being cheaper for the attendees. Hmm. And certain cons flip that. So the pay structure is that the game masters go in free and the uh, attendees pay a little bit more. Right. So that's a way that you could think of if I'm paying, I don't know, X amount of dollars to attend a con, that's a way of getting playtesters. So that could be your way of paying for playtesters. You could just set it like right out there, just be like for the convention itself, just say, if I can get people that are willing to play my game, I will pay their uh, admission fee. Yeah, it's usually a little high, but sure, I'm sure you could do that. I mean, for for assuming a table of four people, right? So you're paying for five or four entrance fees potentially. There, that's that's a lot. I mean, if you're paying for a table, it's probably relatively low in comparison to what you're already paying. Depends on yeah. the con. Depends on the con. Yeah. Yeah. Also, interestingly enough, this uh, I know that I've checked up on this and that would actually fall under a 
a program in Canada that if you are in Canada and you were going to a convention in, say, like the United States, it actually counts as international marketing. So you can actually get the government to pay for half of those expenses. Good to know. So when do we play test? When do we go from the game on paper and play it with people or give it to people to play on their own? As soon as possible. <laughs> but but what does that mean? Like can you break that down a little bit? Um I mean honestly that's that's kind of complex. I it would depend. I mean I could certainly see um for something like a role playing game if you have a basic idea and something that could be a character um, and just, you know, throw that down, throw some dice down and see how it goes. I know some people go for that. Um, and that is actually perfectly viable. Um, and I, I think that that is, if, if you can, um, a, a probably not a bad way to go. Um, and that's why I say as soon as possible. As soon as you have something that is playable, um, you should. Yeah, so that's, that's the key point. Yeah. That's the but, key point is that when you have something playable. Because you can't just throw a pile of um, incoherent nonsense at people and expect them to figure out what it's supposed to do. Or even a pile of interesting concepts that if you want to test it as a role-playing game. I can put in an argument against that as well, though, that you might want to wait a little bit. Like, the players are primarily going to notice the most obvious and outstanding problems first. If you already know what those problems are, you should probably deal with the most obvious ones before you do the playtesting. Otherwise, the majority of the information you're going to get back is basically stuff you already know. So fix what you can first and then deal with the playtesting after that because then you don't have as much garbage data to wade through. Right. But let's stretch this idea of playtesting a bit. What if um, I'm not ready to play, but I have I have some way of making characters? I think it's a good idea to get your group to make characters and just like that's a playtesting session. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that that is not play, but that's getting feedback from um, sort mm-hmm. of being involved in the process, you know, following your, the, your rules, as it were. That's valid but it still relies on the character creation process being functional yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's just a fine milestone i think to like you you know the first time you build a character with your game um it's going to make sense to you and then as soon as you put it in front of somebody you're going to have to ex- they're going to you're going to get to a point inevitably where they go like i don't know what you mean by this and and you'll be like, ah, there's there's the first bit of feedback. Like you can get that, like, oh, this doesn't this wasn't obvious. Whatever I did right here, like this ad, whatever this attribute name was, or how it works, or what it means to have a high number here. Yeah. It may not be conveyed right. on the page. You know, like it, it might it, and um it can give you feedback about also the tone of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, initially, like does it feel heroic does it feel um like grim and gritty at this point does it feel like oh i want to play this right away does it feel like i'm not really interested in this you know you can get some nice feedback early on um just tonally that can kind of help shape 
your goals going forward. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I think one, one way to tease this out a little bit more is that this works because it's a system. It's a functional system that exists within the game. And it's not everything. It's not the complete picture. But I think in playtesting, what you're looking to assess are how these different systems work. And that you can approach this with, I'm testing a functional group of rules that do something together. Um, and that can totally just be how character creation works, or it can be how combat works, or how your downtime works. And these are all systems that you can have independent playtests for, um, sure. whether or not it's the whole system or the whole game together. Yeah. And yeah, and there's no, there's no, I don't think there's a particular order in which you have to do those. No. I think there's, you know, I, I, for example, I tested a combat system before I tried out. I had a character creation. I just, I just gave the character stats. And it's like, here, I need this thing to be a four, a three, a three, and a four, right? And then I was like, okay, we're going to do a combat. I just want to see how this works. And, you know, we were able to do it. And it gave me feedback right away. I was like, okay, this is too cumbersome. Right, I can see this like right away. I don't have to go through a character creation process in order to generate a character that makes these rules work if I'm going to dump these rules. Mm -hmm. you know? So I think as soon as you have something functional, you should do it right away because it'll, it'll, it'll highlight a weakness perhaps immediately. Yep. And then you don't have to, you don't have to like scaff, like the foundation of the rest of what you're building out isn't going to, is going to be stronger for it. That's one thing that has to be pointed out as well is that playtesting is not a thing that you do once. It's a it's a rather long process that you test something and then when you change something, you have to test it again. You can't just be like, oh, well, they told them, I think this will solve the problem. Therefore, it's done. And it's like, no, you actually have to check to make sure that it actually solves the problem, not just that you think it solves the problem. Even if it does solve the problem, it might create an indirect problem by accident at the same time yeah that's, I'm, I'm actually at that spot right now where i've made so many changes since the last play test that i have no clue if the system really works the way i think it does at this point so <laughs> the, the next the next play test is going to be very interesting <laughs> that's another thing is generally try to um put out your play tests in small sequential bits so that like when you're testing something try to test either one or two small things or related concepts at a time if you do like a whole bunch of things if something breaks horribly you may not necessarily have an easy time figuring out what broke it yeah the um the engineer in me completely agrees with this like you can isolate what you're changing, then you have a better way of tracking how your development is going. Yeah. But practically, the game designer in me has never had that happen. It's always been like what Rob <laughs> is saying, where I've changed like six different things, and I throw it at people, and I see what sticks. Um, and I think part of this depends on what stage of playtesting and development you're in. Because I think once you're, when you're in sort of an alpha stage where you are very flexible in how you're creating your game and what systems are going to stick in the long run, I think you can take more risks and change multiple systems and then see what people respond to 
and then come back and kind of change that up again. Once you're in a later stage, like beta testing, that's really when you want to do the, the tweaking and the nitpicking of maybe if I just adjust some of these numbers or um, change this concept from 1d6 to 1d8, um, like very small changes, then that's where I think you want the incremental adjustments as opposed to like grand sweeping ones. Right. Uh, strangely enough on that as well, um, there is actually a rule that I learned when I was just starting out in video game design was when you're testing anything to do with numbers, double it or half it because mm -hmm. very frequently it turns out that it's like, oh, well, this is a 10 and it, it seems like it needs to be a little stronger. I'll, I'll bump it up to like 11 or 12 and then it turns out that you need to bump it up further and further and further and it's like if you double it all the way to 20 you will immediately know if it's enough or not or what will happen if you get too much of it mm -hmm. and sometimes it turns out that you thought it only needed a small bump and it's like 20 wasn't enough 40 wasn't enough and it needed to be 65 and if you were going up by like one or two points at a time that's a huge amount of time to take before you mm -hmm. realize that this is not working and you are wasting a ton of your time. So yeah, actually doing the double or half thing. I've had a couple of times where it's actually happened. It's, it's weird. Yep. Good point. Okay. So in uh, some of the playtesting that I've done, because I know that for me, I'm still in an alpha state. Um, I've made huge changes to my game and then thrown it at people. And I think it's always interesting to see what people find are, like I basically am telling them what systems feel like they fit and which ones don't. Um, and I use that as a metric for myself to see what suits the theme of the game. Because some of the pieces that I add in, people would suspect have always been part of the game, part of the core idea. And other ones are some that feel like they are completely out of place, even though they've been part of the game from its inception. Um, uh, so yeah. I find that when you're making these like bigger changes, you can sometimes get a better idea of what is a good thematic fit to your, your concept. Yeah. What are, <clears throat> I, what are other I, people's experiences with like kind of stuff? Yeah. I, I, I had a, that big sweeping, uh, you know, burn everything down, start over moment at one point too. I'm, well, I, I would guess actually twice during the development of, of ashes, mm -hmm. but, um, the, the last one was like, that was the big one. Like that was, I, I had, right. I had a lot of the game, like I thought in the bag, like done. And then I had to just start over and, mm -hmm the the interesting part about that is i had already gone through a play test that was actually pretty successful and i when i when i got the criticism i i did get that made me go back to the beginning it was i realized that, that um a part of the reason the play test was successful was because i was the one running it Mm -hmm. And I was able to explain the concepts in such a way that 
me being there was the fouling factor right um in in running you know the experiment of the playtest and the 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 concepts that i had as i was doing a quick start because i was i was getting feedback on a quick start that was like going to be the something i could print out and take to a game store right and um and it was clear that the, the entire system was just like way too complicated to to digest as something that that wasn't being explained by somebody who already knew it so it was such a weird it was such a weird moment because i i i it it, it was just the error wasn't in a place where i could see it normally you know mm. you know, like it took somebody else holding up a mirror to 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 make me realize what was wrong um even though i was play testing it it was like it was a different kind of feedback um so it's not just you know play test play you have to watch yourself when you're play testing as well um because you you have the capacity to um gloss over things in a play test like like if you if you are in a play test right and you forget the rules of of part of your game you need to remember that moment because that in all likelihood those rules are too complicated or too sometimes they're, well, they're, sometimes, but they can also be like too fiddly they're just like they're they're too fine and an exception, you know. Like they're too it, small. It can also cases. sometimes be that you've changed the mechanic like seventeen times in the last three That's weeks, and you don't even remember which mechanic it currently is. I've done that. <laughs> okay, that that's fair. Yes, that's that's also true. But it's something you should notice. It's it's something that needs to be if you're and you should be taking notes during a playtest. You should have notebook, oh, paper, and you should. Um, or even better yet, have somebody else taking notes if somebody wants to volunteer for that. That's even better. Uh, or even better uh, than, I, than I that. record it. And recording it yes. is good too. Record it, because then you can Monday morning quarterback the whole session. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you can, yeah, and then you can, yeah, then you don't have to bother remembering or pausing to write it down. Yeah, that is actually better. Yep. Um, One thing as well, while I think of it before I forget, mm -hmm. is as you were mentioning, you had the point where you had to do like a major overhaul or fix almost everything like no matter what you do i found like even talking to like people that have been doing like game design for decades at this point yeah they they every time they start a new game and as soon as it gets to play testing there is going to be at least one system that needs to be completely overhauled pretty much from scratch or removed entirely right and it's almost never going to be the one that you think it is it's going to be like oh this one i think might have some issues with it but when you actually get into it it's like oh, okay it, it actually works a lot better than i thought i did this other one that i thought was perfect um it, nobody likes it yeah <laughs> it's like this is yeah. stupid yeah, and, oh, and that was, you have to be able to realize that too. That yeah. there are things that you have to let go of. That mm -hmm. this is just a bad idea. It's not fun. Ditch it. Like yeah. you can't cling to the idea forever. You have to eventually admit that this was a bad idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, as we frequently go back. You can't be precious about it. Yeah. As we sometimes bring up, RPG design is serial baby murder. Anyway. um... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. It is crazy rub. I put babies on spikes. (laughs) Uh, I actually, um, sorry. No, go on. on. Okay. Yes. Good. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, expanding on Rob's point to some extent, like his earliest point, because there wasn't a well, time to interject between then and now. But it's Sorry. one thing that's super. No, it's fine. What one thing that's super valuable. Also, so I'm getting feedback from Rob. I can hear. Yeah. Anyway, uh, sorry. Uh, as I was saying, one thing that is super valuable if you can get it is have somebody else run your game, <laughs> particularly mm-hmm. when you're not in the room, and see how it goes. Because then you can't handle them, <laughs> and that is going to tell you whether the rules make sense without you there way better yeah. than any possible divining you can do you can criticize um, yourself all the all you want but there's another part to that as well it's not just um somebody else while you're in the room but it's also a matter of try to find somebody who has not got any um preconceived notions before so like if you're if ideally it's somebody to play the game who has not played that type of game before. So like if you can get somebody who has never done like role playing. Yeah. It's really hard to find people who who will test that. But if you can get them, it is like a gold point because they do not have preconceived notions of what is normal or what, they're supposed to expect from it and they will have a totally different perspective from something yeah. else. I, I yeah. think at this point it's it's useful to point out that playtesting is an iterative process mm-hmm. but it's an iterative process along several distinct paths. So yes, you want to iterate through the rules. That's one path. Another path is iterating through your own presence as the designer. So yeah, it's fine for early playtesting to be run by you and then not run by you, but you're in the room. And then, you know, having a completely independent group that you're not present mm-hmm. with or participating. Yeah, That's I actually said path. not the word not in that, by the way. <laughs> and then another path is um, actually testing various stages of the game like we talked about testing character creation that's one thing and then there's the play with those freshly minted characters Mm -hmm. and then at some point you have to have characters of different progression levels like pick a couple of stages at least and test those just so you can see how the game flexes as the characters get more capable. This is, that's a, like a big issue. Um, it, it, it kind of leads into something I wanted to bring up and um, it's play testers as a resource for us personally. Like we only have so many opportunity to have play testing done. Um because there's only so many people that 
we each may know who might do playtesting for us. Uh, so, but one thing that I've found is that if you can help it, especially in alpha, when you get playtesting done, try not to reuse those playtesters. <laughs> and it's, you just don't want them making assumptions about what the game is when you've made yeah, really big changes tough. to it. Yeah. And and that's this is super hard. Like we can't. Yeah, that's we can't that's just that's ideal, but like it, that's almost yeah. never going to happen. Well, you can use right. them again, but you can't only use them for the entire process. Like, well, you can, but it's not right. I mean, we each have to deal. Like I said, we each have to deal with whatever our resource is. But, mm -hmm. but when that comes to what uh, Car was talking about. When we have big games, and, and I mean big in the sense of like plays long and lots of growth, mm -hmm. we have these different functions uh, at different levels of the game. And, and theoretically, they should all be play tested. But I'll bet you even big companies don't play test. Oh, I know. All of don't. <laughs> yeah. And that's why you Yo. often the longer you play a game, the more you run into like, oh, it seems to break at this point because I've been playing it for 30 sessions and no one knew what it was going to be like when I had a plus eight on this. Yeah, right. yeah it's kind of right. difficult so, to do the higher but, end ones. By the time you're testing the higher end stuff, there's going to be less stuff to discover is broken. This so is that, that Yeah, the, this led me to realize two additional testing paths, which is um, player experience, like mm -hmm. at some point you want to get total noobs in the room to test the game. Like not necessarily people who have never role played before, but at least people who have very minimal experience with it. Mm -hmm. and... Ones that haven't developed very strong opinions about what the right way to do it is. Right. Or and you also want to have very experienced players in the room who through that experience will know in general what does or doesn't work or where potential problems are. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, that's and true. if you can yeah. if you can at all find the person who is just a system junkie and will tear things apart just for the fun of it. Make them your best friend. Yeah, it's like, you know all those rules lawyers that everybody mm -hmm. hates? <laughs> Turns out they're really, really good at, you know, playtesting. Same thing with min-maxers. Like, if you get a power gamer who wants to break the game, well, that's kind of what you want them to do. Like, playtesting, you're trying to find the edges of what works, and you actually want them to break the game because that's where you know needs to be fixed. So yeah, all those players that may or may not annoy you because they're rules lawyering, turn their evil deeds to good and make them <laughs> tear your game apart. Yeah. Yeah, that's yes, do that. That is actually what you want. Like that's it's it's really useful to have one or two of those guys just go through and go like, hey, I, how does this work? I can't see how to exploit this. 
mm-hmm. you know, or, or did you intend for this to do this like this? Because if you do this like this, I'm going to take this every time. And like, this is not even a choice at this point. Like, you know, right. and one of those guys, one of those guys can, can pick out the stuff that's going to interact in a way that you didn't intend that, you know, mm-hmm. the, the other thing way. I was going to say, the other thing I was going to say regarding reusing the play testers is, and I'll hopefully I'll get into this more later, but you can reuse them because it helps to have people with some experience handling the system, mm-hmm. but be wary of reusing them with all the same variables in play. Like if you have, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're doing a session at a con with a set of pre-made characters with a pre-written plot that you've come up with and you've you've got some like narrowed testing agenda for that con, don't let the same person play in two separate sessions. Hmm. Yeah, I, and I think that's Ideally. kind of what I was I was getting at. And again, we this is like you said, the ideal situation, but there are limited resource. But when we're working on new ideas and or in initial ideas, especially like it's if we make big changes, we don't want to sort of confuse the old with the new. But if we're testing how our game levels, we absolutely want the same playtesters playing so that we can see how the game grows what, with the same. Player. Yeah. And what choices they make. That's important, too. You don't want to just. Yeah build high level characters that's no not not necessarily no no not necessarily you know it's 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 one thing to have those the players make those choices as they advance because that's going to tell you something very useful about what what you should expect players to do and then that can that can highlight weaknesses as well you know where where you've got um abilities that are too powerful or if you know if you find everybody taking the same thing for example like one ability one ability or power or what one bit of the mechanics shows up in every character across the board you you can probably guess that that one's too powerful or um yeah too compelling you know narratively maybe also realize that designing scenarios for cons is basically a series of one shots if your game is going to be, you know, more of a traditional long form campaign play, you can't fully test the long form of it just by running a series of one shots at cons or whatever. You have to have a long term group going through the progression to test all those elements. It's not entire. I don't want to. I want to say something because we're implying something that I don't. That I can't stand by, and I don't think you actually mean. It's not totally useless to test higher mid-level play, play with people who haven't been on in a previous playtest. There is you lose some value, but you don't lose all of it. It's not it's that fair to yeah. say because I personally believe that. No, you're right. Mm-hmm. I I agree with that, but I think it's like a combination of the two. Um, and a lot of that is just, I need, it's valuable to see progression, but it's just also valuable to see, you know, what play would look like after 10 sessions. Um, mm-hmm. 
and really long form multi-session plays, the only way you get to confirm how your advancement subsystems work. Yeah. Yeah, so, because oddly enough, people make different choices if they make all of them at the same time. They're like, oh, well, I can get that now. I'll just grab it at a higher level because it'll be there when I get it. And there's also things that it's like, as they're playing through the game, it's like, okay, this game is actually working differently than I thought it would. Like, we thought this was going to be a lot more combat heavy than it is. So maybe I should be investing in something other than combat. Mm. Mm -hmm. So does anyone have any input on how to develop a network of playtesters? Uh, that we could rely on to to get our playtesting done? Like, does anyone have any input? <laughs> that's going to be a well, tough one, because most people tough. have problems yeah. getting just player... Like, the it was described as the most difficult part of playing a, any role-playing game isn't the complexity of the rules or anything else. It's just scheduling players that can play together trying to do that with multiple different groups for a game that they've never played before that isn't even finished <laughs> yeah, that's right it, but it's not on us to well that's, that's what i mean like so how do we we can't schedule all these play tests for people we need to have people who want to play test our games and then they take it and schedule with their players and it, it just sort of uh, pyramids, I guess, was the right way of looking at it. Like, I don't yeah. know. I'm curious. Like, so for example, Catrice, um, is this something that uh, Patreon has been able to help you with? Like, have you been able to incorporate your patrons as playtesters, or have you considered that? I do actually have at least one of my patrons as a playtester so far. Uh, there was several others that were supposed to, but then their schedules changed before it was possible. So right. not as many as there was going to be originally, but yes, at least one of them has. Others may in the future, um, especially if I get more patrons. So, so that's... That like, one thing that wasn't possible that, that didn't exist when I was doing playtesting, but does now is meetup. Like yeah. mm -hmm. doing things online is great, but for things like this, which is getting people together to do an, a necessarily social thing, you have to go into meet space, like go to your local game stores, go on meetup, actually meet people face to face. Yeah to yeah. to hype yeah, up it, your game and see who see who will bite. Yep. Absolutely. If it's possible. Some of us unfortunately live in really tiny areas without yeah. in game stores mm. or anything of the like, which sucks. But what's <laughs> but work with what you can. Exactly. Yeah. And there are some resources for stuff like that. Like Roll Twenty has a forum. Uh there's the Gauntlet, which has uh Google Plus or whatever it is, the Google Hangouts uh, games that they'll try to run. That's a decent way of finding people. And if you create cool. it as like a campaign length, then it, it can help you 
make sure that those people are sticking through for multiple sessions. Well, well, it should be noted though that Google Plus is dying in April, like in a few days. Yeah, and no. Hangouts, Hangouts has been essentially dead for a while, so you have to find things like that wherever those communities went to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, like the the Gauntlet is actively uses uses Hangouts. It it's it is what they use, but the the community is gathered in a different way than either of those. Yeah. But um, I'm I'm lucky enough to live in a big city, um, and that there are a couple of cons that happen here often enough that I guess I get to meet other designers, um, and I found that those are the most valuable playtesters. It does yeah. mean that what we end up doing is like a, a sort of a trade of okay, we'll all meet up and playtest this person's game, and then we all meet up and playtest my game next week or something like that. But at least it's able we're able to have people that have good insight into how games are made, and then build off of each other's suggestions. Um, like finding design groups, like even Flail Forward, is so valuable because yeah. we all have our own unique designs but we're able to point out the things that we see in each other's games because we have that experience. Um, and even though we've only playtested a few of each other's games, I think it makes a big difference that we're able to build on what the other people are saying in a constructive way because we understand game design. Um, as much as the amateurs we are can understand game design. But, but at the same time, they want one that when you're talking to other game designers, game designers have a very different way of looking at games than other players do. Mm-hmm. Like, keep in mind, we're going to pick things apart. We're going to nitpick things. We're going to... And that's sometimes really handy in a playtest. Sometimes you also want the people that just intuitively go through it, like their first glance look at it, that they're not picking it apart. Uh, to an extensive degree where it's just like, okay, if I give this to the average player, what are they actually going to do with it? Because sometimes they won't act even remotely the same way a game designer will. Yeah, there's... Like, in any group around the table, you kind of have to, to really test the group because that's another aspect of any playtest is the people around the table like it helps to have at least some familiarity with each individual's play style which is most likely an amalgamation of all their previous gaming experience somehow but then like to the to your point about designers themselves like our experience as designers is built on various levels of our engagement with role-playing, like first as a player and then as a GM, then as a home brewer, and then as a full-on like game engineer. Cool. Like you can't be a game engineer without really experiencing all of those different levels of interaction. I feel like we said the word game too much in that sentence, but just because of our <laughs> philosophies, but ignoring that point, um, I'm going to say the dumb thing and say I, I didn't start as a player. I was a GM before I was a player, and I was actually uh, doing homebrew before I was a player, cause, but that is 
because I am a strange case that shouldn't exist. Well, regardless of how, regardless of how the order of your level, your interactions happened, you still have those interactions to inform each other at different levels. Right, because you know if if you're the person among your group of friends that goes to a game store and says, "Hey, this might be interesting to play," like chances are you're going to be a GM first before you're a player. So I also that's wasn't that not person. But... <laughs> <laughs> the cat war is just this weird exception <laughs> of the rules. Is, is yes, is, yes. <laughs> you're a vortex which, which, of gaming anomalies. Which brings me to another thing to watch out for is um, be aware, like be aware of what becomes an edge case during your playtest sessions and what's not. Like I did, that's almost on the face of it impossible to explain, but like you know from your any experience playing like in any in any system what is normal for that system and what's not so you have to kind of apply the same principles to yours to know mm-hmm. what are its own edge cases yeah i don't that's hmm see because it, in my in my opinion edge cases are where your game is breaking down um, not necessarily. I, I meant edge cases as in things that would not normally come up during play. Right, but in coming like, up, it means you've excluded a set of possibilities. No, no. I, I mean, like, the players come up with a possibility that you didn't foresee. Like, you know, the one time I, I wasn't doing a... I, was, I sat in to play... Mm-hmm. Uh, a D&D second edition slot at Gen Con and we ended up making our like saving ourselves from this um empty cavern or chasm flooding by with cone of cold we made ourselves an ice elevator like that's not something D&D thought of but the players did you have to you have to know how to recognize those extremities of possibility in your game and not and know that they're not norms um yeah okay but it see to me that just that just highlights a failure of D's design though to a degree i mean Sometimes you have to keep in mind too it's that like, no, you but, can't well, have rules for absolutely everything. Sometimes. No, but you can you can recognize when there's a disconnect between the fictional ability you handed a player in this case to make something out of ice and how ice works and how they expect ice to work, and so it's it's it means that you designed a mechanic in the vacuum of the system and not in. Like you didn't make a fictional analog for it. You just like, here's this mechanic. It makes ice blast in this direction. And well, it's only ever going to do damage. And it's never going to freeze water. Getting at it is that it, it depends on what the purpose of your game is. Like D&D is very heavily centered around the concept of combat. It mm. really doesn't 
care for the most part and actively tries to discourage you from solving problems in other ways. Like if you can bypass combat by creating like an ice elevator, the indie is generally not happy with that and it it breaks down because it doesn't want you to do that. No, I would say yeah. that was there there was definitely I you could you could make a case that D D's first editions up to second wanted you to do that. Um and and those things were supposed to have more they had more narrative impact. Uh but it, it's it's not relevant. Um well we're talking about second edition, so I know, but but what I'm saying is there's 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 a there's a disconnect that at some point wasn't noticed by somebody playing the game, and then somebody at Car's table um, was like, "Hey, we could do this with. I have this spell that does this. It makes sense for it to do this, given what I know about ice and water and water that freezes. And this says I can freeze a bunch of stuff. I can make a bunch of ice." And that wasn't something that was accounted for in the design, like as 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 something that was spelled out. It was like a consequence of the fictional thing, um, of the the fictional impact of an ability handed to a character that, well, that yeah. wasn't. My, my point is just it was that... the it was the the point. The, my point was nothing about D and D in particular. Is that however the players understand how the game works and how the fiction is supposed to work. It, there's going to be some hard lines in how you write it and some vague vagaries and then just some blatant holes and the rules need to be interpretable in such a way or okay maybe there's certain design philosophy that points you toward allowing that where the rules should be interpretable so that the widgets that you put in the game can be abused in a creative non-breaking way like making making an ice platform using cone of cold right that don't break the game but are creative solutions using known tools and but my overall point was to be aware of the extremely unlikely you know creative directions that players go and des- like not designing them in or out but re- realizing that those are the 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 far reaches of create cr- player creativity and not the norms of your game just because it happens doesn't mean you have to make a, a design change to avoid it. No, like that's where or I was trying to allow it. Was specifically to allow it or disallow it. Yeah, there's there's no guarantee that your your game will be able to cover everything because it can't. It's not physically possible to have the game with a rule for every single possible situation because your book would be tens of thousands of pages long it's not happening you have to prioritize which things are important to the game and which things you're going to be like okay here's sort of a generic situation that will probably work 
in most situations, but it's not going to work in all of them. You'll have to deal with it yourself occasionally. To that end, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you have so, to be able to prioritize things. Yes, and that particular incident relied on us knowing how ice works and applying the tools that D&D gave us in an unanticipated way. We didn't break the game. We made the narrative more interesting because it basically fell under the rule of cool. Literally. And ah, yeah, oh. literally. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out, Rob. That wasn't intentional. But, you know, and, and the DM allowed it because he could sense that it was a good, a, a good solution to the, to the situation the PCs were in. Mm-hmm. Which is what should happen. So, I mean, that's yeah. You know, you do want that. You do want that. That that's I, I that is the ideal. However, yeah, I, I, what Cat was saying about D and D not allow like not allowing you to solve those things without combat. It's like it, there there was a design philosophy for a, a while that is, it still happens in some games where it's like this is it it, it is the board game syndrome where it's like the mechanics only do mechanical things and don't have narrative impact um mm-hmm. or na- they don't have narrative impact outside their mechanical impact you know and that's where you get like those i don't know if anybody ever read those um comics from pyramid magazine uh murphy's rules which were a uh like a little comic strip series that uh just pointed out the odd interactions in rules in rpgs i think they're still out there on the internet i'm sure you're sure you could, people can find them but it, it was there's this kind of thing what's up i was gonna say there's also an extremely long something awful thread that is entitled the same thing but that's right. neither here nor there <laughs> it's on those topics yeah well but but it goes to highlight that there's there's what Kat's saying is 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 right. Like, you, if you start account trying to account for everything, you you do hit these weird corner cases because otherwise you just have a book that is the universe. Um, because you have to at some point you have to abstract, and depending on where you draw that line in your abstraction, it's going to be. Let's bring this back to playtesting. It, it may be difficult for you to nail down where that is in your game. Um, and that may be something that playtesters are not going to figure out right away. Like, uh, I'm sure, well, the first, let me, let me, the first time I was, um, playing, um, Dungeon World, I hadn't played a Power by Apocalypse game before, hadn't run one before. Um, and it wasn't obvious to me how the, how I was supposed to let the players defy danger. Like it wasn't clear what what was supposed to happen in that case. Like I didn't understand like that there wasn't an action economy because the concept of a RPG not really having an action economy didn't make sense at that point to me. You know what I mean? And so, like, mm-hmm. a, a, as a playtester, as somebody who would have been who might have been playtesting that game, if I if I was picturing myself as a playtester. I would be so confused by that thing that I wouldn't be able to even give good feedback. I, 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 there would be some amount of taint 
in my, uh, maybe that's not the best word, but the, um, hmm, what was I saying? Just go with taint. It's fine. All right. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> but there's, there's some amount of, of preconceived notions that I brought to the table when I was playing that game that, that, that would have made me a bad play tester. Yeah, had you come at it as a player, you may have had a different experience. Yeah, as exactly. opposed to a DM, right? Which it's right, like right. You're describing. Um, but because I didn't, I there was no, there was no sort of like let's play videos or any like demonstration of what to do with it that I had seen. It was very hard for me to figure out like how how to how to run it. Um, from the text uh and so like but it but it i guess the point i was trying to get to was uh no lost it Uh, i think i can (laughs) i I think i think i have a way to recover it is that every because obviously that shortcoming that you experienced somehow survived the playtesting of dungeon world Mm -hmm. Right. So, which means nobody that did that was involved in playtesting felt that um, deficiency in it. So, the point is that, you know, the more people you can get looking at the game from both a player perspective and a GM perspective will suss out more potential problems. And the flip side of it is that everybody brings their own perspective to the playtest table. Mm-hmm. One thing I would mention there, though, is that it's not just quantity. It's the types of quality of different players. Like, you, if you have, like, a hundred different player testers that all basically have the same play experience. They're not really going to learn much different than it would have been. Like they're well, all going to have I'm, a very I'm, similar experience to bring to the table. No, no, I'm. I I wasn't talking about their experience with your game and testing it. I was talking about their experience with role playing with other systems before. Yeah, I I just meant it along that lines, like having more players that have only ever played D&D as a player, never as a GM, never as like any other game at all, ever. It doesn't matter how many you have of them to a degree, like you can have like a couple for each of those, but yeah, different, a variety of experiences is generally more useful than just sheer quantity of players with similar experiences. Hmm. Okay. Yes. Um, all right. Does anyone have any last minute thoughts on anything we've said before we wrap this part up? Katrice, um, if you're going to say something, say something. Not, no, nothing important. I'm good. Okay. No, not really. I was, uh, the only, yeah. 
I was just confirming I didn't. Sorry. <laughs> yes. No. no. Um. <laughs> okay. Dumpster. Um. Yeah. That's pretty uh, much <laughs> fantastic. Um. All right. So uh, that is our episode of Flow Forward for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with the second part. But thank you for joining us. Um. We have been Fred, Carr, Jonathan, Catrice, <laughs> Cavoir, Mark, and Rob. Shut up, Rob. Uh, <laughs> but not me, apparently. Not See, car. I said I car. I totally I said car. Yes, did. I did. No, he didn't. He did. <laughs> I, we recorded this. Don't I'll play back fire. the goddamn tape. Anyway, um, I, car is here. I, although I said that earlier, but he's definitely here, too. Um, anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. Have a good night, and uh, we'll see you later. <laughs>